My guess is that uh, any number of you sitting here this morning are perhaps working in the business world, the corporate world, or somewhere in the marketing world, perhaps that kind of thing. And one of the things that's always sort of tickled me a little bit is the, is the lingo and the language that you often hear in the business world. And I get, I'm not, obviously I'm not part of the business world, I'm a pastor and before that I was a musician, and by the way we have our own lingo. But um, I often, my brother would, will fill me in. My brother's been a very successful uh, businessman back in the, in the UK. And uh, I think part of the reason he's been so successful is he knows how to talk the talk. But behind closed doors, when we're talking just the two of us, he's just, he's laughing away. He says, you won't believe some of the things people say in meetings and the, the kind of lingo they use. He, he said, I'm just thinking, what on earth are you saying? You know, okay, guys, let's, uh, yeah, let's see if we can rally the troops and we're going to come up uh, with a ballpark figure, all right, uh, for our profit and loss for the second and third quarters. And then let's circle back when you have a little bit more bandwidth. I used to get, who talks like that? Who talks like that? And yet, sure enough, people do talk like that in certain settings. And it always tickles my brother, and it certainly tickles me when I, when I hear about it. And as I was looking at this passage of Scripture this week, I, I thought, you know, actually, that there is some sort of business lingo we can apply here. Um, here are three words that you tend to hear a lot in the business world, or actually often in any sort of corporate job world, right? Ever heard these words before? Qualifications, performance, results. You ever come across it? You ever, you ever had a job review where they look at these things? Or if you're going for a job interview, they want to see your qualifications, don't they? But then when you're working, they want to talk about performance and results, right? It's all about performance and results. Um, and in a sense, when we look at this passage today, this is a prophetic passage. This is talking about the coming of Jesus, even though this was written 700 plus years before Jesus came on the scene, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. But in a sense, it's actually talking about the qualifications of the Messiah. It's talking about what will the performance of the Messiah will be like and what will the results be. So we're going to take a little bit of look at each of those three aspects. And if we look at verse 1, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. When I was initially preparing for the sermon this morning... I did all this like research on kind of on trees and stumps and all this sort of stuff, and I was going to give you this this really cool description of how shoots can grow up from a stump that seems dead and all that. And then I realised you don't want to hear all that, you know, unless you're a horticulturalist or something like that. You, so I want to just sort of just gloss through that to get to some of the more important points I want to get to. But essentially, what this is talking about: who's Jesse? Well, Jesse was the father of King David. David. The, the most famous, the most powerful king of Israel that ever has been. And it talks about how a branch will bear fruit from the roots of Jesse. So this is the royal line of David. And it was predicted that the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior of not only Israel but of the world, would come from this line. And what has happened is we just have a stump left because um, the Assyrian Empire is on the threat of wiping out Israel and Judah and it looks like we're going to lose the whole royal lineage here. And then the question is, well, how can Jesus emerge from this? And so what Isaiah is talking about here is that actually, just when you think things are on the verge of dying, there's going to be new life. There's going to be a shoot, a branch that springs forth and it's going to bear new fruit. So that's what that first verse is. But I want to, let's jump into 
the second verses. And actually, um, Heidi, you can put up the first, first scripture here. Because remember, we're talking about qualifications, performance, and results. And so the question is, what kind of qualifications will the Messiah have? What, what will he look like? And Isaiah um, lists seven divine qualities, seven. And that number seven, that's not accidental. Um, in the Hebrew traditions and the Christian traditions, seven is a very, very important number. Numbers have uh, symbolic meaning. And seven is often seen as the, the number of perfection or the number of completion. You know, and when we look at Scripture, we have um, the seven days of creation. We have what are called the seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation. Often the number 777 is denoted to, to show the threefold perfection of the Trinity. Interestingly, I think it's why 666, you know, we all know that number, right? The number of the beast. Well, I think what it's showing is the imperfection of 777. But it's no coincidence that Isaiah uses what essentially he's doing. He's, he's saying this Messiah that comes, he's equating him with God himself. And firstly, he says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So he will be supernaturally guided and filled with the spirit of God. And then after that, what we get is we get uh, three sets of two attributes. Three sets of two. And the first one there is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. You know, there's, there's a sad lack, isn't there, of both wisdom and understanding in our society today. I think we could all agree on that, right? And I think actually one of the growing frustrations that many of us feel today is that we do not have leaders who have wisdom and understanding. As we read the news and see everything going on, we just wonder, where is, where is the wisdom? Where is the understanding these days? You know, there's a difference between being educated and being wise and understanding. You ever thought about that? There is a difference. You can be super educated, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be wise and understanding. Let's take a contemporary example. Prince Andrew, somebody from my own fold. Um, you know, he's an educated guy. He's got the best education the British royal family can buy you. But I think most of us would agree that recently he's not exactly been wise and understanding. You know, so you can be educated, but not necessarily wise and understanding. You can actually, you can have a PhD or a doctoral degree and still be an idiot. Maybe I'm preaching to myself there. Uh, but in Jesus, in Jesus, we have someone who is the fountain of wisdom. He's actually, he's the source of wisdom and understanding. Um, without Jesus, you're never going to have true wisdom and understanding. And in fact, what we need to do is we have to stop relying on the wisdom of this world. And stop putting our hopes in flawed men and women. Because you know what? They are men and women just like you and I. And at some point, they're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to, you're going to realize they're just human. And I think part of the problem is that too many of us are looking for a savior in all the wrong places. You know, we, we put our hope and our security in so many things, don't we? Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's 
a bigger house. Maybe it's a, a nicer car. Perhaps it's finding the right person to marry. All these things we think are going to bring us happiness when we're relying on our own wisdom and understanding instead of trusting in God, which is where it really should be. You know, right now, um, <clears throat> it's interesting to see uh, things going on in this country and then see things going back in my home country of England. And both countries are going through some real political turmoil right now. You know, in the UK, you've got Brexit, right, going on right now. And everybody's sick to death of that because it's been going on for over three years. And we, there's a, a general election happening this Thursday in the UK, yet another one. And then, of course, over here, you've got everything going on with, you know, first of all, the Mueller report and then the, the impeachment inquiry. And these things, what are they doing to us as people? They are sucking the life out of us, aren't they? They're sucking the air out of us. And as I look on social media, people getting into fights and bickering over this. Family and friends falling out because they don't agree politically. And what I notice is, especially people who don't particularly have any faith in God, they're putting all their hope in a political candidate. They think, if my party can just get in here, then the whole world's going to be better and my life will be better. It's a deception, folks. That's not going to bring you true happiness. It might bring you a temporary, a quick fix, because that's often what these things do, isn't it, Right? You think you want a bigger house, you get your bigger house, and it's great for maybe three months, six months, a year. And after that, ah, it just becomes normal. And guess what? All the same things that were annoying you, were bugging you, that get you annoyed, that anger you, they're still there. They're still there. And it's because we are, we're looking for a savior in all the wrong places. You know, you have to ask yourself the question. If you find yourself being generally kind of miserable, angry, full of anxiety and generally dissatisfied, I can almost guarantee you it's because you are looking for a savior in all the wrong places. You're looking for things that will not last, that cannot deliver, and at best will give you a short-lived reprieve from the deeper issues in your life that you are running away from or trying to avoid. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at kind of brushing things to the side that I need to deal with. Do you ever do that? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw a couple of spoonfuls of dirt over this issue, and hopefully it'll, it'll just go away and stay buried. And yet these things have a habit, don't they, of coming to the surface at the most inopportune moments sometimes. And then we get a little view of what we're really like, what's really going on. Now, it's folks, it's true happiness and contentment. It is not found this way. It's found that way. It's found that way. That's the way you find true happiness and contentment. It's your connection with God, not necessarily with what's going on in the world. Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He will give you the rest. He's the one where you find true rest and contentment. And I know, I know so many of you are tired, exhausted. But true rest and true contentment will be found in Jesus, not in all this stuff that we think we can get. If we look at the second set there, um, the Messiah will be endowed with a spirit of counsel and might. 
counsel and might. A spirit of counsel, that's the ability to make wise decisions. And might, might here, it's not so much talking about sort of strength and force, but it actually more points to the greatness and the importance of who Jesus is. The next set that we come to there is the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Knowledge and fear of the Lord. Um, it's interesting, that word knowledge, um, <clears throat> it's from the root Hebrew word, which is yada, not yoda. It's not <clears throat> spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. No, it's yada. And it means, the word there, it means more than just knowing something but it actually means a deep, intimate connection of knowing. It's a relational knowing. It's the kind of knowing that only comes when you have really, really spent time with somebody and you've built a relationship with them. It's actually, believe it or not, it's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, which says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now we can obviously all tell that word knew really means you know, they had sexual relations. All right, we'd be in trouble if the word knew really meant that amongst us all. There'd be a lot more babies in the world than we would intend. But, no, it's the same word. It's that kind of intimacy that comes from that kind of relationship. And so, what's key here is a, a deep and intimate relationship with God is key to actually to true knowledge, to true knowledge. And talks about the fear of the Lord. And this is a, can be a very misunderstood term, the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Are you supposed to be terrified of God? Are you supposed to be, be scared of God? No, that's not what God has in mind here. God is a loving God. And he wants a close relationship with you. He loves you. He's not angry at you. He wants a relationship with you. And so we're not to be scared of God. But actually, in, in the sense, what the word means here is it means just to have a profound awe and a deep respect and reverence for God. It's a very big difference between being scared. So those are some of the qualifications of the Messiah. Well, what about performance? How does he do on the performance side? Well, it says here in uh, verse 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Well, wait a minute. You mean he's not going to just judge somebody by a video he's seen online or what someone else has said or written in an article? Wow, that's a breath of fresh air, is it not? It's such a contrast, isn't it, to the culture that we live in today. We are are so quick to jump to judgment, aren't we? Especially if it fits with the narrative we want to believe. If we can find something that backs up what we already feel, then yes, I'm going to judge somebody before the real evidence has come out, and that's just the way it's going to be. And isn't it ironic that we live in an age of don't judge me? That is the mantra, isn't it, of today's age? Don't judge me. And yet that's exactly what we're all doing. We get online, we judge people all the time, don't we? We see somebody's written or we read an article, and we've already formed an opinion before really doing our research. But you know what, this was, this was predicted thousands of years ago. It's one of the amazing things about this book, the Bible. It has so much truth in it, and it is so prophetic. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I think we all do that, don't we? I'm guilty of it as well. I have to remind myself to be more objective sometimes. Instead of just going to the sources I know are going to just boost my ego and, my, and what I want to think a little bit. But people, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's not how Jesus will operate. I've got news for you. Despite what our culture tells you, yes, Jesus is going to come. He's going to come and judge. That is part of his, uh, his role as ruler. But listen to verse 4. It says, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. You know what that says in a nutshell? That says there will be no special or biased treatment. Everybody will be treated equally. That's true justice. He will judge with righteousness and justice. And being poor or needy, that doesn't necessarily uh, you know, mean you get special treatment. It'll be done fairly and squarely. And if you're wicked, you'll be judged that way. That should actually come as a huge consolation to us. Because sometimes we look at people, don't we? We look at tyrants. And let's be honest, some of them, they never get their just desserts in this lifetime. They live a nice, luxurious lifestyle. They live to a good old age, get into their 80s or their 90s. And then they pass away peacefully in their sleep. And you think, where is the justice? Where is the justice? The justice is coming. So Jesus is going to be the perfect ruler and the perfect judge. And he's going to be completely fair and impartial. So what are the results of this? What are the results? Well, the results are a whole new world. A whole new world. Listen to what it says um, in verses 6 through 8. We just read them earlier. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion are the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. The young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw with the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Okay, that sounds like a a list of the absurd, doesn't it? That sounds nuts. I mean, if we wanted to add a little bit more contemporary craziness, you might add to that. And the Republicans and the Democrats will work together. Trump and Schiff will have a beer together. It's that level of absurdity, isn't it? The wolf will live with the lamb. I don't think so. The wolf will eat the lamb, right? The leopard will lie down with the goat. Mm -mm, Don't see that happening. The cow will feed with the bear. No, the cow will feed the bear, I think is more likely. The lion will eat straw with it. Have you seen it? Have you ever seen a lion eat straw? not really in their nature is it you know the lines there oh i have a choice between straw and an ox hmm let me think yeah this it, this stuff is nuts the infant will play near the cobra's den i remember seeing a video not too long ago and i think it was from somewhere like indonesia and there was this little kid the kid was probably like three or four years old and the kid's just in the backyard just playing with a cobra you know it's just, you know, little kid's toy to them. You know, you can tell the, 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 the cobra's getting irate. And this kid is just, you know, I've got my heart in my mouth. Like, what on earth is going on here? 
But these, th- these things are insane to us, aren't they? We can't imagine this. It's actually a, it's a reminder, actually, that there's more wrong with the world than we think. Have you noticed why so many things out there are harmful to us, can get us, and things connected to nature? I mean, poison ivy. You notice all these allergies? There seems to be more and more coming out, don't there? People are allergic to more and more things, allergic to things of nature. And there are so many animals out there that can hurt us, right? Even little things like wasps and hornets, nasty little things. But then creatures and animals that can literally kill us, that threaten us. You know, just last week I read a horrendous story about a woman in Texas who was, who was killed by uh, wild hogs. They, they just went at her and, and, and killed her. And she was... I think 10 or 15 feet from the house. She got out of a car 10 or 15 feet away and gets attacked. Another story I read recently about a woman who was attacked and killed by her dogs. You know, we read stories like this. They're pretty horrific. So when we look at a passage like this, we're thinking, what on earth are we talking about? But what we have here is a whole new world. There really is coming a time, folks, when Jesus will return and he's, he's going to judge with righteousness and faithfulness and fair, fairness and then he will make all things new. He has promised this. I will make all things new. And I know it seems ludicrous right now. It seems insane. We can't quite imagine or comprehend it. But listen to what it says in verse 9. This is such an incredible verse. It says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. You know, I think the reason there seems to be such an air of despair, of hopelessness today, why we seem to have so many mass shootings, why we have the opioid crisis, why there's so much disunity and vitriol. I think it's because there's a lack of knowledge of the Lord in our land. We're becoming more and more spiritually ignorant and we are regressing even as we think we are progressing. Just because we have the iPhone 11 doesn't mean we're necessarily progressing Certainly not spiritually. And yeah, you know what? Without Jesus, things are pretty bleak. But we're not without Jesus. And that's why we have every reason to be excited and hopeful and to have joy in our life despite all the craziness going on, despite the craziness in your own life, despite whatever you are battling and fighting right now, we still have hope because of what Jesus has done. That just over 2,000 years ago, God entered time and space. He became one of us and he did what no other human being could do. He went to the cross for us. He redeemed our sins and he gave us access to the Father and to eternal life. I'll leave you with this uh, verse from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says the following. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood... The son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. 
Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I know many of you probably fear dying. We don't like the thought of us dying, of ceasing to exist here. But you know that passage right there says there is hope and every reason to be joyful. This is, this is not the whole picture. This is not the end when you leave this earth. And so when we celebrate Jesus' birthday in a couple of weeks from now, we are celebrating the beginning of our freedom and the promise of a whole new world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that is, that is a reality. And it might even seem as insane as the passage we read about all the different animals uh, feeding and living together, Lord. But Lord, we know you're the God of miracles. That, you know, you're the God of the impossible. That all these things are possible with you. And so, Lord, we give you thanks that there is freedom to be found. There is hope and joy to be found through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that truth would sink in this morning. I pray people, people would open up, want to know more about who you truly are and see that their lives can be truly transformed. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.